recently passed away just in the last three or four months from cancer. And his daughter and the great football player, Tim Tebow, gave tributes at his memorial service. And it was so beautiful to hear um, his daughter and Tim talk about him and what a, what a great mind he had, talked about the kind of the way that he lived, uh, talk about the way he loved people. They said if you were standing behind him in line that he would see you. You know, it didn't matter that he was well-known, world-renowned. He saw everybody. He cared about everybody. He loved people. He loved his family. Um, and he was praying be, days before he died of this terrible cancer. He was still, to a young man whose daughter, whose little baby had died after it was born, was still reaching out to this friend to say, hey, we're praying for you, you know, while he himself was dying. And I was, as I was listening to these tributes, it, it just really touched me. And I thought, man, how different this is than most of what I've been listening to and watching on, you know, YouTube videos and on TV, all the riots and all the profanity and all the stuff that's being said out there. It was like, it was such a contrast. And I, as I was listening to these tributes to Ravi, I mean, my heart was touched. I mean, I had tears in my eyes. It's like, I just needed to hear something beautiful and good, something good for my mind, you know? Have you, have you just realized how important your thoughts are to how you feel and to what you do? Do you, have, you ever have those moments at night, perhaps, when you're not feeling very good and, and you may be agitated, you may be upset, you may be scared, and you need to do something to replace those thoughts before you go to sleep and so you read a book or you read scripture or you get on your, you pray or something just to wipe it clean up here so that you can have some peace while you sleep at night. You know, that's, that's, that's critical that we think right when we're going, when we're in a pickle, when we're going through hard times, our minds are so important to how we make it through that time. Now, I shared this story before. Some of you haven't heard it. I'm going to share it again. So several uh, summers ago, I, my wife and I were back in Michigan with my oldest daughter and her kids, and we went to a place called Traverse City. It's Traverse City Bay to go on a sailboat trip, and uh, we got out in the middle of the bay, and it's a really big bay, and I went overboard off the sailboat, and I didn't have a, a life jacket on, and I won't go into why. It was, there was a good reason why I didn't. Um, uh, there weren't enough of them, and I'm a decent swimmer, so I'm, I went overboard. And the funny thing about it was that the week before I went overboard on that sailboat was that my wife and I were camping, and we, you know when, you're, when you, you're camping, you have all this time. You're not doing anything. So we were having a random conversation, and I, I don't know why I thought about this. I said, Donna, you know, if I ever go overboard in the ocean, I think this is what I do. I said, I, I think I would, I would come up, and I would think, okay, try to relax. Try to think positive thoughts. This is a nice day. You know, the water's good. And, uh, and then look for where the current's going and swim with it. Don't fight against it because you've got to conserve all the energy that you've had if you're going to survive. I really thought we had this conversation the week before I went overboard in Traverse, Bay, Traverse City Bay back in Michigan. So I go overboard, and I come up, and really the actual first thoughts I had were, oh, good, my hat's still on my head because this is my favorite baseball hat. My second thought was, my sunglasses are still on great. I love these sunglasses. My third thought was, and this was not pleasant, oh, no, my cell phone's in my pocket. That's the end of that. So, and then, and then my next thought was, this is, a, and it was a beautiful day. This is a beautiful day, and this water's great. It's beautiful. It's, it's not very cold. It feels, it feels clean, and, and then I thought, okay, I don't know if you know this, but sailboats can sail faster than swimmers can swim. I learned it that day. As soon as I went overboard, poof, 
boom, the sailboat was gone. It was 70, I came up, and it's 70 yards away. It's like, I'm not catching up to the sailboat, and there's nobody on that sailboat who knows how to run it. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, okay, I, I, the, I thought, the water's going that way, and I've got about a mile to swim, and I had a bum shoulder at the time, so I'm not going to be able to do freestyle. I'm going to have to do side stroke and scissor kick with my right arm, and I got a mile to go. And so I started going. Fortunately, we got the sailboat under control, and we got back on board. But the point of that story is that I was prepared for being in an emergency situation because the week before I thought about it. And my thoughts prepared me for that actual experience, and it made the experience safer and actually more enjoyable. The only thing that really the hardest thing was my grandkids, four of my grandkids were on the sailboat when their dad also went overboard. So it was the two of us were in the drink. And I, I was having a great day until they started screaming bloody murder for their father who they thought was going to die. And then I, then I was like, oh, no, I was alarmed. But until that moment, it was okay. Um, but I was prepared because I'd been thinking. You know, and as, as I've gone through this pandemic thing, I've been thinking, God, what do you want? What, I've been thinking these thoughts. God, you're in control. You reign. You're sovereign. Um, God, you're doing something good somewhere. You're working through this. I know you are. I know you're working in your people. I've been looking at your lives and our lives, and I've been impressed by how we've responded. I've been very encouraged by how you've done and how we've done. I've been thinking, God, um, what, do you, what are your purpose for, for purposes for me in this time? You have something for me to do. It's kind of hard to do things because we're not supposed to go anywhere. But you, you have something for me to do. And God, I know I, I have this real strong sense that you want to change something in me. And he is. He's doing some new things in my life. And I'm really happy about it. In fact, I'm going to come out of this thing uh, grateful for some of the new things that are happening in my life. But it's coming through my, my thinking, my mind. And with my mind being where it is, it's helping me to get through this a whole lot better. So let me, let me ask you, how are you doing mentally? Because what is happening inside of you mentally is affecting you emotionally, and it's affecting your behavior and your response to this whole thing. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to come out of this uh, more resilient? Wouldn't it be great to come out of this pandemic just feeling stronger? Wouldn't it be great to come out knowing, hey, you know, something has needed to change in my life, and this time, something has really changed. Something's changing. I, I think, I think the, that those are great thoughts to have when, when we're going through something like this. You know, the Apostle Paul, we've been going through the, the letter to the Philippians, which is the letter written by Paul while he was in prison to some believers in a city called Philippi. Philippi was a city that was named after uh, Caesar's son, Philip. And, and he's, he's in prison. He's writing to these believers and one of the things he does, he's in, okay, so he's in prison, he's in lockdown, kind of like we are, only worse. And he talks about the mental approach to life. Now think, uh, use your imagination, think about, I want you to think about uh, prisoners right now in the county jail or San Quentin. And, and try to think, what do you think they're thinking about right now? Guys have 20 more years in prison, what are they thinking about? Where do their thoughts go? I don't know, I've never been in prison. So I don't know what that's like. Now, I want you to think about Paul. He's in prison. Where are his thoughts? Well, you know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about um, things that are true. He's thinking about things that are noble. 
He's thinking about whatever's right and pure. Can you imagine right now in San Quentin, a couple of cellmates, you know? Guy says, hey, Mac, I see you sitting over there. What are you thinking about? Mac says to Joe, Joe, I'm just thinking about some really lovely things today. I just don't imagine that happening in San Quentin, a prisoner talking about lovely thoughts. But he is. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent, praiseworthy, Paul's thinking about those things in prison. In fact, if you did not, if he didn't tell us, I'm in chains right now, you would not know that Paul was in prison. You know, instead of talking about, oh, the food in prison's terrible, or talking about, oh, these, these chains around my ankles are so uncomfortable, or, you know, God, oh, it stinks in here, or, God, could you give me some fresh air? Can you turn on the AC? It's so stuffy in this prison. You don't get any of that from Paul. It's whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Those are the things he was thinking about. And he is telling us that's what we need to think about. And he was a prisoner unlike any other prisoner. Because while he's in prison, something's happening. Everybody around him is hearing about Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. They're hearing about the resurrection of Jesus. They're hearing about the new life that he can give you and how he can wipe away your sins. How he can give you an inheritance that lasts forever. I mean, I mean, the people around Paul in prison are getting impacted by the gospel. And the people on the outside who are free, he's building them up and he's edifying them during this time. It's remarkable. Why? Because, Paul, because of his heart, because of his mind, where he was living. And so he gives us some targets to, to, to think about while we're in lockdown. And I've already said them, so let me say them again and give a little comment on them. I'm not going to go in depth into all eight of these targets. But let's, first of all, he says, if you want to uh, read in your Bible where I'm talking about, it's Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So let's think about those targets, okay? Let's think about what's true. What's true in our current situation? One thing that could be disturbing um, some of us is what's true about the government? Is the government a um, construct by man or did God make it up? Where did government come from? And what is to be our response to government? So let me read some verses from Romans 13. So we know what's true about government. Romans 13, starting in verse 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So God has established the authority. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. All right, so government comes from God. He's established it. 
They are there to punish the wrongdoer and commend those people who are doing right. Our job is to submit to the governing authorities. And that's an important thing that we need to understand in these times. We need to think about what's right. What's right about government? That's what's right about government. To do away with government, to have anarchy, to do away with the police and have no authority, to not punish wrongdoers. There are wrongdoers, folks. If you haven't noticed, there are wrongdoers in our nation. And there always will be because there's darkness. And there are people who do not turn to Jesus to be made new. And so sin comes out and evil comes out. There are evil demonic forces alive and well on this earth. They're, they're, they're affecting people's behavior and the way that they think. It's ugly, you know. When, I, when they were cleaning up the, the uh, Joe Redotta Trail, we had the homeless encampment. I was, I was going for a short walk. I wasn't, and it's right by my house. And I was going for a short walk, and I met a ranger, a guy was, who was kind of a custodian for that. He told me, you do not want to go down there. He says, it is another world. It's dangerous. Do not go down there. That's just the world. That's reality. And if you don't believe it, well, you can always look on YouTube and see how people are acting in the rioting. And so what's government's role to deal with that? That's the president's role. That's the Congress's role. That's the governor's role, the mayor's role, the policeman's role. Okay? We need to know that. Think about what's true. I had to submit to the authorities in my, on my vacation. I'm sad to report I got my first speeding ticket ever. I've driven for over 40 years. It was my first day of vacation. It was beautiful outside. Loved the music I was playing. It was like, I'm like flying, you know, coming off of Highway 80 onto Highway 12 in Susan City. There's hardly anybody behind me, hardly anybody in front of me, except for the cop on the motorcycle right there. Pulls me over and says, you know what the speed limit is here? It's 50 miles an hour, by the way. It's a, it's a speed trap as far as I'm concerned. 50 miles an hour. Okay, watch yourself. And uh, he was very polite. He was very kind. He was even so nice as to ask me why I was driving that fast. And I thought it was a trick question. I'm thinking, I, I don't know. I was going to my stepdad's house. I, you know, my foot was too heavy on the pedal, on the gas pedal. That's why. I, I don't know. But... You know, I'm going to pay the, I'm, I'm going to pay the dime because I did the crime. Okay, um, and it's just what policemen are supposed to do, to to protect us. So, think about what's true. Think about what's noble. What wins respect? What wins respect? Um, I'm reading about the Quakers when they first started under a guy named George Fox over in England, over in Europe, like the 1600s they were mistreated and persecuted people thought they were weird and strange and they just mistreated them but you know what turned the tide for the quakers their business practices were so admirable that people started changing their minds about the quakers so there's something think about things like that you know turn your critics jeers into cheers by the way you behave think about whatever's right what's right what's right when it comes to god God made us, God has redeemed us, God has given us a future in him. He deserves our lives, everything about us. What, what do people deserve? I'll tell you what people deserve. People, in our relationship with people, every person on this earth, no matter what they're doing, is made in the image of God. So whether they're red, yellow, black, or white, every person on the face of the earth deserves respect and they deserve love. It does not matter. We're not talking about socioeconomic class, educational standard. It does not matter. Every human, it doesn't matter what, what maladies 
they've been born with, any birth defects. Doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are. Every human being deserves love and respect. That's what's right. And we need to think about that. We need to think about what's pure in our motives. I don't know if you ever have these feelings, but I do. It's like, wow, I'm thinking about something, and I, I, I detect an impure motive in my heart. I was out on the bike trail running yesterday, and I, there was this impurity, impure motive that came in. It's like, God, just you know, purify that. We need to think about those things. Think about whatever's lovely, okay? What inspires affection? Think about what's admirable. And it could come from anybody, any kind of person and some admirable thing that they're doing. I was reading the story of Oscar Schindler. You know Schindler's List, the movie? I think it was the Oscar winner. And I, I read, wasn't really tuned in to Oscar. And then I read this book. And what caught me about his life was that he used gift giving to save people's lives. What he would do when he began to realize he was a German working in Poland and he had a factory where he was making cookware. And when he began to see the Nazis moved into Poland, they built that ghetto to secure all the Jews inside of, I think it was, was it, was it Krakow? Um, I forget the exact city. And he'd go on horseback rides and he'd look down into the city and he'd see how the Nazis would be just shooting to death Jews what they were doing to the old and what they were doing to the young. And all of a sudden, he, he had, took it on himself. He had, had this mission to rescue these people because he had a lot of Jews working in his factory. And so what he began to do was to give gifts to the Nazi leaders so that they would allow the Jews who were in his factory to stay in his factory. And those who stayed in his factory survived. So he gave stuff like cigarettes and cognac and diamonds and cookware to these Nazi leaders. And as he gave that to them, they would do what he requested. I want that group of women to be in my factory. I want those guys, because they have special skills, to be in my factory. And they said because Oscar Schindler did that, he saved 1,200 Jews. He, in fact, he saved a whole train load, a whole car load of, of women, of Jewish women, who were in Auschwitz, destined to die, because he said, they're on my list. That's Schindler's list. They're on my list. They belong in my factory. They have skills nobody else has. You've got to give them to me. And Oscar Schindler actually gave himself poor. When he finished World War II, to the end of his life, he was a poor man. He gave away his wealth to save these people's lives. And now there are children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren here, of those people that Oscar saved because of his gift-giving. That just impacted me so much. You know, the words, there's a, there's a statement, there's a story Jesus told in Luke 16 that befuddles people. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Oscar Schindler embodied that. There's a proverb in 1816 that says, the gift opens the way for the giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. And I, I thought about gift giving and generosity. I think of Oscar Schindler. And that's just, think about what's ever admirable. When you come across those types of people, give them some thought. Because it's like, may they be a motivation to our lives. And then he goes on to say, think about what's excellent. Think about morally good people. Who's a morally good person? Think about that. Think about whatever's praiseworthy, the kind of behavior that's approved by most everyone. Non-condemning, respectful, kind, not mean-spirited, not vengeful. Paul says... You think like this, you think like this, and then the things that you've learned, 
heard, received from me, or seen in me, you do those things, and he says, the God of peace will be with you. The end game is that the shadow of El Shaddai, the shadow, the presence of the Almighty God is hovering over your life. But you have a sense you are not alone. He is with you. He's protecting. He's guarding you. He's giving you a sense of well-being. He's working in your body. He's working in your emotions. He's working in your relationships. Somebody is working beyond you. It's not just you rattling around in this universe. That's the end game. That's what happens when we think like this, when we do this. I, uh, interesting, Duke University did a study on uh, peace, peace of mind. And what they found was kind of the flip side of what Paul's talking about. They said, when you don't have these things present in your life, you have peace of mind. And it's like, oh, that's the other side. So here's, here's what they found at Duke University. When you do not have suspicion and resentment, you'll have more peace. So that would be canceled out like noble thoughts. When you're not living in the past, so that would be like, think about what's right. You know, since I've been forgiven, I'm going to forgive the people in my past who hurt me. I'm not going to hold out. You know, don't live in the past. Don't go there. Refuse to indulge in self-pity, and you'll have peace. That, think about what's lovely and admirable. And then it says cultivate old-fashioned virtues. That would be excellent. Things like love and honor and compassion and, and uh, loyalty. Okay, so we have these, we, these eight mental targets to aim for all right let me go over them again whatever's true noble right pure lovely admirable excellent praiseworthy just really good things think about that now question that i have and maybe you have is how do you do that how do you think those kinds of thoughts how do you change your frame of mind you know we all have tapes we have people who've spoken into us that said very hurtful things, they've said negative things. Maybe when you were a child, and you know, when you're a child, you look up to your parents, and they're like the next best thing to God. And it's so easy, you don't have a defense system, you don't have a filter, and you just take into your mind everything that they said to you, and you believed it. And some of it, frankly, wasn't true. But you've lived with it as if it was true. So how do you get rid of that? How does that get flushed? What do we need to do with our minds? You know, the, this battle, so much of our battle in life is about the way we think. So let me give you an offensive and a defensive strategy. Okay? Offense. And you write down, maybe some of these, uh, you can write these down. We didn't give you any paper, so you're on your own here. Okay? But try to mentally remember some of these things, okay? Um, first of all, read scripture. Spiritual material. Edifying material. You can read. Number two, listen to Scripture, to solid Bible preachers and speakers and teachers. Who are you listening to? Listen to the good stuff. Number three, meditate on the truth, on the noble, on the admirable. In my case, recently, because I read the book, I've been, I've been meditating on Oscar Schindler's life and his gift-giving and how that saved, you know, over a thousand people's lives. Number four, observe people who who are living in truth and grace. You can read biographies of people like that. Or you, can, you, you might know people personally that they um, exemplify certain characteristics. I've said my, uh, you know, this, this teacher I had back in seminary, he was the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. 
I had him for Old Testament prophets, and he was brilliant. He's probably the smartest man that I've ever been in the presence of. And I remember when he would, when students would ask questions, and some of the questions weren't too, you know, erudite, brilliant. Dave, Dr. Hubbard would never, he would always give great consideration and thought to every question that was answered. He would never embarrass a student. He would never make you feel less than if you asked the question. As smart as he was and you felt he was so far beyond you, he treated everybody with grace. And I thought, I, I would sit there and listen to him and I'd watch him. I'd go, he's the smartest man that I've ever been around and he's the most gracious. And it like, wow. I go, I want to be like him. When I grew up, I want to be like Dr. Hubbard, you know. So if you have people in your life like that, think about it. Here's something else you can do. Number five, walk, hike, bike, run, sit outside. Just get outdoors, okay? Why, why go outdoors for your mind? Because the Bible says, we talked about this two weeks ago, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. God is talking to us and revealing himself to us in the heavens. So just get outside. Go in your backyard. Go for a walk. Sit. Okay? Another one, number six, study God's word in groups. Get with other people. If you'd like to be a part of a Zoom Bible study on Wednesday night, give us your email. We'll get you on the list. Be, it's like the Brady Bunch. You ever been in a Bible study with the Brady Bunch? Everybody has a little square, okay? And then we just go through it. It's good. Some of you are in that. Uh, number seven, memorize parts of the Scripture. God, get it so in you that it's a, part, a permanent part of your mental furniture. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God is for us, who can be against us? Just little clips. Get them inside of you. One of the things, you know, it's July 4th weekend. One of the things I love about Abraham Lincoln is, that, uh, is the way that he read. They said he didn't re read well, real widely. He didn't, like, read all these books. I knew of a professor in my college who read a book a day. Every day he read a book. Like, how can you even do that? Am I supposed to do that? Because it ain't happening, okay? Every day. But Abraham Lincoln wasn't like that. Abraham Lincoln read deeply. He had a few books that he read. And he, he knew them. And they said once he learned what was in that book, it was like putting a scratch in metal. It never left. So once that truth, once that, that knowledge got inside of Abraham Lincoln's brain, it stuck there for the rest of his life. So memorization of scriptures like that, get it so that it sticks inside of you, like it's scratch in metal. So it's just going to come up out of you when you need it in, in, in dealing with life. Okay, so that's an offensive strategy. Read, listen, meditate, observe, get out in nature, study, and memorize. Now, here's the defensive strategy. Because we have, we have negative things coming at us. Got to put the positive in, the good in, keep the bad out. So, number one, I would say pray for the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. To guard your thoughts. You and I need supernatural protection. So, if you're struggling with the way you're thinking, you can pray, God, would you pre please Protect my way of thinking. Cleanse my, my mind. Number two, turn off or tune out the untruthful, the profane, the negative, the vile, the hateful voices. When I was on vacation, I was exposed to a constant news media stream. 
Like, what am I going to do about this? And so I would go outside, and I would go to the lake. I, we'd get out. I'd just get out of the house. Or I'd go in the bedroom, and I'd read. But we've got to just shut it down sometimes. Because what is, we're being fed in our brains is so unhealthy. It's so unhelpful. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit to cut away any part of you that is drawn to the false, to the profane, to the ugly, to the evil. If you're, if you're attracted to some of this stuff that's damaging, ask God to cut that away. Lord, may that not be so attractive anymore. You know, I, I found uh, one of the things that's happening in this, in this shutdown is that since there's no sports, for the first time in my life, I'm not watching sports. And I'm, I'm kind of, I would have thought, will I go through withdrawals? You know, I'm so, I've been such a sports guy my whole life. You know what's happening? I'm like, I hardly feel it. It's not that big a deal. It's like, I think I'm going to change from here on out. I'm not going to be as big a sports guy. There's other things to do in life. It's very interesting what's happening. So there are, there are things that's like, I'm not as drawn to it. You know, God can change that desire. And number four, I would say, because we need to be sober-minded, avoid drunkenness. We need to be clear-headed. You got pot, throw it out. Don't get drunk. Ask any cop. They'll tell you how much drunkenness and getting high is, is associated with doing crime. It's just all related. It all goes together. We got to have, Bible, Paul said, be sober-minded. You need to think clearly. We're living in days of darkness. Christ is coming. You need to be alert. Guard your thoughts. Guard your mind. I mean, this, this, this instrument you have in your brain, my favorite description of it, the brain, three and a half pounds of gray jelly locked inside a bony box. And there's more going on in that gray jelly than there is in all the solar system. Why would we mistreat our brains? Guard it. Think about the good stuff because the peace of God and the presence of God is coming. And so I want, I want to pray over you. I want to pray for your mind. I want to pray for your thoughts that you would experience that presence of God um, and God would do a new thing. So let's go ahead. Let's stand as we close this prayer this morning. Oh, Father, we are so glad that we are not left to ourselves. We're so glad, Father, that there is a strategy for dealing with times like this. That, God, you've given us things that are true and, and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy to think about. Father God, we pray that you give us wisdom to guard our minds by your grace, with your help, by your spirit, with your helmet of salvation. Guard us against the lies and the half-truths and the things that are twisted, against the things that make us scared and suspicious, that make us live in resentment. God, those old tapes that we've had from our childhood that need to be eliminated, they need to be erased. We need to think the truth about ourselves. We need to think the truth about you, the truth about other people. So, Father, give us the grace to do it. Give us the wisdom, the prudence to say no to this and yes to that. Change our desires, our, what, what fascinates us, what captures our, fa our, our wonder. And help us to come to know you better, Lord, and to be prepared for these pickles that we get ourselves in, or these problems, these uh, troubled times. 
that we'd be resilient, that we'd be strong, that you'd be doing a work inside of us instead of falling apart. So help us to do it, Father. We pray that you do a new thing in these days and that you'd be lifted up, that we would walk with a greater sense of confidence, a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of hope, And, and Lord, so we, we, just, we just give ourselves over to you. Thank you, Father. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.